Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hello, everyone. How are you guys doing? All right. Raise your hand if you guys love the Olympics. Anyone love the Olympics? Okay. Um, Raise your hand if you like the Summer Olympics. Winter Olympics. Okay, it's about even. Well, I love the Olympics. It's probably my favorite time of the year other than Christmas. I guess I should say every two years since it separates, you know what I mean? But I love the Olympics. Um, I love the Olympics for a couple different reasons. I love the Olympics because I love watching these regular, seemingly regular people, like, do these crazy things and break, like, all these records and, like, perform to this crazy athletic ability. Um, when I watch Michael Phelps, when I watch Michael Phelps, I don't know who Michael Phelps is, but when I watch Michael Phelps swim, um, probably sitting there, picture the scene, I'm probably sitting there on the couch, um, probably drinking a Dr. Pepper, and he's, like, killing the game because, I don't know, he's, like, a robot or something. And I'm watching Michael Phelps, and I'm sitting there, and everything in me is like, I could do that. I could do that. (laughs) Guys, I've never swam competitively in my life. I don't even know half of the strokes. I just know how to survive, okay? (laughs) And But I'm watching Michael Phelps, and there is something that inspires me inside where I'm like, I could do that. I could go tomorrow and start swimming and training, and I could do that, and I could probably beat him. Like, that is how, like, pumped inside I am. The same happens at the Winter Olympics, okay? Sean White is, like, my favorite snowboarder because I don't know any other snowboarders. Um, But Sean White has the red hair. used to be long, but he's really noticeable. Um, He won the gold. Same thing happened. Picture the scene. I'm sitting on the couch, um, probably drinking coffee or hot chocolate because it's cold in the winter. And I'm watching him, like, do the little cool... And in my mind and in everything that I believe in, I'm like, I could do that. And you guys, I don't think I've ever even seen a snowboard in real life, honestly. (laughs) But there's something about the Olympics that I'm like, I could do that. I could do it. I could start training today, and I could be at the 2050-something Olympics. Um, I would be really old then. But there's something about the Olympics that inspires me. Um, I love the Olympics too. The opening ceremony is always my favorite because everyone's like together in harmony and like all their flags are up and it's so lovely. But it does something to me. Like it messes with my ego in a bad way. Like usually when you see people who are way better than you performing, you're probably like, I suck. But I'm the opposite. I'm like, I could do that. Like I get so excited, but I can't do it. And here's the connection. Why am I telling you about the Olympics? Um, In James chapter 2... What I want you to hear tonight is a line that James says a couple of times in the chapter. But he says, faith without actions is useless. Or he says, faith without actions is dead. Picture the roadkill that you saw probably on the way here. Like dead, gross, disgusting, of no use. Faith without actions is useless. And so I think about like, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be the next Olympic swimmer or snowboarder, or maybe both. No. And I can think about that all day long, but if I never practice for that or never even, like, look at a snowboard in real life, I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to get there. And so it's not enough just to, like, have faith that I could do it, but I would have to put into action to try to accomplish that goal. You know what I mean? 
So that's what I want you to hear tonight from James chapter 2. We're going to be in the latter half that you just heard read on the screen. Um, James, faith without actions is useless, okay? Let's pray before we start diving into chapter 2, okay? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, James and the relationship that he had to Jesus. Um, Because of that relationship and the story that he got to see, we get to know more about Jesus. We get to know more about you, God. Um, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would help us understand this concept of what it looks like to live out this faith. Um, We thank you for who you are, and we love you. It's in your name I pray. All right, so James chapter 2. I'm not going, I hope Sean White's gone. Okay, I'm not going to read through the whole thing since you just did, but I'm going to go right to the beginning of verse 14. Okay, we're going to look at 14 through 26. So you can follow along up here, or if you have a Bible, please open it. Feel free. All right, James begins this second set of thought after he talks about favoritism, okay? What's he say about favoritism? Do it or don't do it? Don't do it. Okay, good, perfect. And then he goes into this idea. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is in need. Um, It's without clothes and daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, is not a com- if not accompanied by action, is dead. So he sets the scene. You see a brother or a sister, okay, a fellow believer, and they, like, don't have the appropriate clothes on. And I'm not talking, like, too short of clothes, but, like, it's freezing outside and they have flip-flops on. Um, and you say, oh, well, I hope you go in peace and you're well-fed and well-clothed, but you don't do anything, okay? James is like, that has no point. That is useless for you to even say that, right? Because you're not doing anything about it. And if you know your Bible, which I believe that you do, you can probably think of a familiar story where someone has been with a need and people have, like, walked by and not met that need. If you're thinking the Good Samaritan, you nailed it. Luke chapter 10 um, is where the story of the Good Samaritan comes in. And I'll read it, maybe, if I can get there, starting in verse 30. This is Jesus who, um, a guy is asking him, who is your neighbor? Because he says, love your neighbor. He says, who's my neighbor? So Jesus says this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers. So probably he's walking on a street that has cliffs all up the side of it. And it's really narrow. And there's not a lot of traffic there. These robbers stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest. You're like, awesome, a priest. Happens to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and this is where the people listening to Jesus would go, what? A Samaritan. As he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I, will, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus asked those listening who was the one that showed love to Zabur. They said, obviously, the person who showed mercy. 
So James tells this story, paints a picture, a hypothetical situation of, okay, there's people that you see that have a need, and you just, I hope it gets met. Kind of like the priest and the Levite, right? Walking away, probably coming from the temple, and they're like, I can't mess with that guy today because I'll become unclean. And this Samaritan who probably everyone in that time period would not have shown favoritism to. Like, they're the one that you, if you're doing what James says in the first part of chapter 2, you're inviting that guy to come and sit at your table. But this Samaritan's the one who actually helps the neighbor in need. So James says, don't be like the other two people that sees someone in need and does nothing about it. Okay, that's not faith in action, right? So he gives us an example. This is not what to do, or this is what not to do. Unlike Yoda, this is not what to do. He says, don't just look upon someone and hope, hope, hope someone takes care of it when you have every ability to do that for yourself. So if that's not what to do, what does it look like to have faith in action? He goes on to say, um, talk about two different people. The first person he talks about is Abraham in verse 21. He says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son on the altar? Okay, raise your hand if you know who Abraham is, this old guy that we all hear about. If you grew up in church at all, you probably sang a song. Father Abraham had many sons. Nice. Many sons have Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Ah, right hand. You know. You know Father Abraham. So, Father Abraham. James goes on to say, okay, don't do this, but I'm going to show you two people who lived out their faith with action, okay? Listen to the story of Abraham. He was considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Okay, real quick synopsis of Abraham's life. God tells Abraham, I'm gonna give you descendants, right? As many as the stars. And Abraham's like, okay, I trust you. I believe that that promise is gonna be fulfilled. And then he waits for so long. And then they end up having a son, Isaac, right? The name Isaac, did you know? You probably did, because you're all scholars. The name Isaac actually means laughter, because when Sarah was told that she was going to have a kid, she laughed. You know why? Because she was 90 years old, and Abraham was 100. And that's weird, right? It's like, come here, i got to change your diaper. She probably gave a C. She's like picking up the chicken or something. So Abraham waits for this promise to be fulfilled, but it eventually is, right? They eventually get their son, Isaac. And then God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham, knowing, it says in Hebrews 11, which is the Faith Hall of Fame, it says that Abraham, in verse 8, when he was called to go to a place where he would later receive his inheritance, he obeyed and went, Okay, Abraham has this faith in God. He says, I believe that you are going to do what you have promised me. You are going to give me descendants, make a nation from me. And I believe that you're going to do this through Isaac. And then God says, sacrifice that promise. Sacrifice him on the altar. And Abraham picks up some supplies, imagining like a backpack. And he grabs Isaac and they go up a mountain. Now that is faith with action. And so what I hear from that is not like it's super easy, right? He's not going to be like, okay, cool, let's go. Like, I don't even like you anyways. No, Abraham loved Isaac. 
This was what he had waited for for so long. But because he trusted God, because his faith was there, the action followed. And in Hebrews, it even says that Abraham had faith that God could even raise the dead. So Abraham is walking into this whole thing with faith. And so James is telling the story of Abraham. And just in case the people listening, and just in case you listening, no father Abraham, who had many sons, um, thought, well, that's Abraham. That's like asking um, someone who never does anything wrong to, like, do something of trust, okay? But just in case that's what you're thinking, just in case that's what the readers of the letter to James was thinking, he pulls a fast one on him, just like Jesus did with the Samaritan. And he says, well, what about Rahab? Verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Rahab's story is found in Joshua 2. And Rahab lives in this town called Jericho. And Joshua and his men were coming to take over Jericho. And Rahab, not being a devout believer, but hearing about God, hearing about how he had been faithful to his people, was kind of curious. And so she hides these spies. She does the crazy, unthinkable thing of hiding these spies, something that could cost her and her family her life. She hides these spies because she is like, I have seen what God has done for you, and so I'm going to have that faith, and I'm going to do this action, and, you know, I'm going to hope it works out. And the spies, what do they end up telling her? Hang the red string, and you will be saved. And Rahab and her whole family is saved because of the little bit of faith that she had. Now, I want you to think, has God ever, like, asked you to do something that you just think is so crazy? see some nods. When I was um, going into my senior year of college, um, I thought God asked me to do something crazy. So I had done an internship in Indianapolis at a big church, and like, I didn't need an internship anymore. But I was like, I need small church experience. So long story short, I ended up going to Rhode Island for six months. And the whole drive there, I was like kind of excited, but then I kind of realized I know no one there. And so the more states that I went through, the less excited I got. But long story short, we can grab coffee if you want to hear all about my time in Rhode Island. Um, What God did through that church plant and allowing me to see has like completely changed who I am as a person and how I even view the church. And it was like the biggest blessing, but it was scary. And so I'm going to ask you to do something tonight that might seem a little scary. It's Halloween after all. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But here's what I'm asking you to do. The clear call of James is to put your faith into action. Okay? It's not good enough to just believe, but you need to act on that belief too. Here's why. As followers of Jesus, you all are on a mission, okay? You all have a backpack on, an imaginary backpack, and you're going on a mountain. You're going on a hike, okay? And your mission is this. Because you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus has called each and every one of you to make disciples, right? It's like his big speech, the Great Commission in Matthew. And to make disciples is simply this, because I know that that can get clouded and crazy, But to make disciples is simply this. It's to share the good news of Jesus that you have received yourself to someone who doesn't have that. 
And so the scary thing that I'm going to ask you to do is not sacrifice your son that's going to make you have a nation and have descendants as big as the stars. And I'm not going to ask you to hide some spies in some hay. Okay, both crazy things. But this is what I'm going to ask you. Close your eyes right now. Everyone's going to do it. Don't worry. I'm not going to, like, pop out and be scary. Close your eyes. And I want you to think of that one person in your life that doesn't know Jesus. Okay? Keep your eyes closed. I had the opportunity to go to the Dominican over spring break last year, and one of our seniors, we were sitting around the fire debriefing and the week, and he says the one thing that he regrets in high school is this. People knew that he went to church because they saw him on Wednesdays and Sundays. But he said, people didn't know I went to church because of how I acted, the way that I talked, and the way that I shared the good news with other people at school. And that was the one thing that he regretted. He was like, you know, I didn't do anything bad, but I didn't do that. I didn't really have actions to what I was saying. And James' clear call is this, that faith without actions is useless. It's dead. Because when you are on a mission to tell people about the good news of Jesus, you have this faith that you believe in, right? That's what you're going to say. And then the action is actually saying it. So my challenge to you is this. Think of that one person that doesn't know Jesus. That one person who needs to be sitting in this chair at the front. That one person who, let's be honest, they don't even need to come to this church, okay? But that one person that is living without hope, just barely making it along, and thinks, cool, this is, this is life, whatever. And then I'm going to ask you to open your eyes and pull out your phone. You can have your phone in church. And go to your alarm clock really do it, guys, the action thing, get it? Pull out your alarm clock, and I took a survey a couple weeks ago on what time you guys wake up as you walked in here. And so, like, the median, that's not, like, 4 o'clock and not 8 o'clock when you're late, is 7 o'clock. So I want you to set that alarm for 7 o'clock. And I want you to simply, 7 o'clock a.m., and I want you to write, pray for, and if you have a name of someone, put their name. If you don't have a name of anyone yet, just put pray for one, that one person. And set it for every day. And every day, I want you to pray for that person. That you would have an opportunity to put your faith into action. And now, listen to me clearly. This isn't so that people can be like, oh, Peyton, you're such a good person. Like, you love people so well. Because without Jesus, I wouldn't love people well. I would be the most prideful, selfish person in this room. So pray for that person every day. And the challenge would be, after this year, like, start talking to them. Start living your faith out. And it doesn't have to be like, hi, I love Jesus, I want you to love Jesus too. Like, that's weird. But you can start having conversations with them that show them the character of Jesus. And then you can start talking about it, you know? Make that relationship first before you're like, come on. James says, faith without action, you coming here and sitting here on Wednesday nights and going back to school and not doing anything about it, it's useless. Might as well not come. I might as well not have a job if I'm not putting my faith into action too. But when you have the faith, when you believe Jesus is who he says he is, God is faithful, he's going to fulfill his promise, you can act on it and not be afraid of what's going to happen. Not be afraid to have that conversation with someone.
Let's pray. God, you are good. We're grateful that Jesus had actions, um, the biggest and scariest probably, was dying on a cross, um, a shameful death, being beaten, mocked, put in a grave alone for three days. But then the greatest action happened after that when you raised him from the dead. So God, I ask that you would show us who that person is. You would give us the courage to talk to that person. God, if it's not sharing the gospel with that one person, if it's, it might just be loving them really well and inviting them back in to what they already know. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.